Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person real or imagined, or the dark forces of Outre-Terre. It is not intended for children. Blood Money, Part 1, Necropolitan Vice Exsanguination It's an ugly name for an ugly crime. Girl was in her mid-twenties. Black, beautiful, far too young to die. Pathology indicated that she had been injected with a lethal overdose of heroin, and then all of her blood had been drained from her right carotid artery by two puncture wounds. A vampire with a drug habit, feeding two addictions at the same time. This is Tom Stretcher reporting in. The date is July 8th, 1984. I got a tip from the local detectives. Everyone needs to have someone to go to when the dark forces of Ultra-Terror show up. And for Detective Marshall Williams of the D.C. Police Department, I'm that someone. The Pinkerton's Paranormal Detective Agency doesn't have any official standing or powers. We're a strictly non-governmental private foundation. At best, advisors to the real officials. In practice, we get called on a lot to deal with problems that no one else knows how to handle. Normally, I'd wait for a mission or a tip from control, and then find out who, or more often what, is the problem, along with a handy briefing file. Then I'd have full background, local resources, and a place to operate out of. At the bare minimum, I'd have some idea of what I was getting into and the possibility of backup from other Pinkertons. Not this time. On this one, I've jumped into it with both feet before looking. Maybe I should have taken my time, investigated everything carefully, worked with control, with our network of volunteers and other agencies and organizations. That would be the smart play. A careful, patient way. But I just couldn't do that. Because someone just left a girl on the street like a piece of garbage. And I couldn't just let that go. I can't let it go because of the life that was lost, cut too short, too fast. I also can't let it go because he's a vampire that has the taste for it. The blood becomes an addiction, and he'll kill again and again and again until he's finally stopped. There's a lot of death in E.C., and much of it isn't by natural causes. Some of it is even from an unnatural supernatural cause. I don't investigate normal crimes anymore. Usually, I'll be dealing with monsters or other bizarre things that don't have anything to do with my former life as a police detective. The world of the law and the dark world of ultra-terror are usually separate. Still, sometimes they overlap. My contacts and the police can only give the broad view of whatever is going on. There have been a series of exsanguinations showing up recently in the city, often with the victims filled with an overdose of one or more narcotics before death. 
Many of the victims hadn't had any history of drug use before either. Investigations haven't been able to turn in any suspects, though many had some kind of connection or affiliation with one of the local gangs. The gang angle was another odd thing. Some kind of gang war had taken over the streets. Gang leaders were showing up dead, drained of blood, and with gang members suddenly being taken over, robbed, or going to war with one another, the pattern just didn't make sense, at least without a vampire. I hit the streets, trying to find out what was going on. I had hundreds of questions, but no answers. I might not be a cop anymore, but no one was talking to me. Folks don't want to talk about crime. They don't want to talk about the supernatural, and they certainly don't talk about supernatural crimes. I can't reveal my sources, but eventually I did get a lead. There's someone, a something, called blood money, taking over and fleecing the local gangs. Some way, somehow, he was getting the gangs to cooperate with him. But a lot of the locals don't even really remember what happened afterward. There's a lot of people down at the station saying they don't remember what they did, and I believe them. He's setting the whole city on fire, one gang at a time, and he's got to be stopped before it's too late. My instincts tell me there's more than one vampire. More than it seems, anyway. I keep back and watched it first. It's hard trailing a vampire. They can see perfectly in darkness better than we can in daylight, hear things we can't even imagine, and smell your blood from a mile away, and they never forget your scent once they catch it. All of my trailing had to be done at long distance, recording which cars he used, where he stopped, and everything else. Not up close in person, of course. That would be suicide. Mostly, I used a telephoto lens attached to my camera and stabilized the whole thing with a tripod. Once I knew his general motions, I could try to get a better look at him from afar and get some photos in for the lab boys to look at. Tall, dark-skinned, black close-cropped hair, athletic build, and just under six feet tall. Early 20s, I'd say. See the enclosed photos. It's hard to get a proper photo at night. He always wears sunglasses. Always. At night, indoors, with his entourage. Why? Was it just style? Or is there something more? What was going on with his eyes? I needed to get closer. I had to know what the deal is. He was always surrounded by his entourage. Armed gangsters and pretty girls. Why? What did everyone suddenly see in him? He was in an outsider. In a city with an established gangs. You don't just barge into D.C., and start your own gang, much less take over another one that's already there. Yet somehow, that's exactly what Blood Money had done. People turned on their own gang leaders overnight across the whole city to follow a complete stranger. Why? He stopped by a beautiful woman and lowered his sunglasses to look over them while he talked to her. That was all it took. She smiled and then followed him up into a nearby building. Another one. She was dead by morning, and there wasn't a damned thing I could do about it. Blood Money was surrounded by armed men, inexplicably loyal armed men. 
I'd never survive an upfront close confrontation. And a rifle shot won't actually kill a vampire, only wound one. Somehow, I'd have to find a place where he wasn't with his gangsters, and where I could confront him. That's where my network of informants came in. Any investigator, whether a paranormal Pinkerton or any other detective, lives by his network of informants. I've built up a solid network here on the East Coast, mostly just ordinary people who've seen one kind of horror or another, just couldn't ignore it or forget it. It's rarer than you'd think. Most people, they just forget and sort of erase their own memories of the horror so they can just get on with their lives. It's why things get bad when something of ultra terror reaches out to touch somebody. Few that decide to do something about it are rare treasures and utterly necessary in my line of work. My sources revealed where Blood Money's current lair was, and I had to get there that night, before he moved again. I figured I'd be ready for whatever I found there. I figured wrong. Once I tracked Blood Money to what I thought had been the building he was operating out of, I realized I'd walked into a trap. In the underground parking garage, lit up by buzzing fluorescent lights, was where I found the vampire waiting for me. And it wasn't blood money. It was one of my informants. I also realized I was dealing with an older and more powerful vampire than I had previously thought. One that could make and control other vampires. A vampire like that ain't cheap when it comes to blood. He, I mean, it, recognized me instantly. Whatever was left of the man I once knew still had all of his memories, even if he was now a slave to darkness. I turned as it approached, hissed in a high-pitched screech that I'm sure should have cracked the overhead lighting. It bared fangs, too. Not the little two plastic ones on the upper lip like you see in vampire movies. No, these were the real things. Long curved and vicious upper and lower canines in his jaw that creaked wide like a snake's to take a big bite out of me. There were, there were the claws, long, ragged, yellowish things spotted with a bit of clotted blood as they began to force their way out of the former man's fingertips and curled into deadly weapons that they became. Finally, bones and joints began to shift into utterly unnatural configurations as it bent down on all fours, arching its back impossibly like a monstrous cat about to pounce. It hissed at me. It was a primordial sound. From the time when men had to huddle by the fire defenseless and fear every creature of the night that hunted mankind, the eyes had turned blood red and focused on me like gun sights. They were flat, emotionless, and deadly as the eyes of a rattlesnake. You don't just get into a fight with a vampire. Any vampire. With their superhuman strength, speed, and senses, vampires would be nearly impossible to fight, even without a collection of inbuilt weaponry worse than the dark side of the natural world. Add it all together, and even a brand new vampire like the one I faced was deadlier than a tiger. Still, I hesitated. Some part of me wanted to believe that the man I once knew and trusted remained, that a human being 
was still down in there somewhere, fighting for control. I almost waited too long. Within human speed, my former informant turned into a blur, racing at me with fangs and now talons outstretched, clawing at the bare concrete as it ran at me on all fours. Finally, it crouched and leaped at me. If he'd ever gotten within arm's reach of me, I'd be dead. Which was why I brought the crossbow. Driving a stake into a man's chest is harder than it looks. Trust me on this one. A steel-framed compound crossbow can send an ashwood bolt downrange at over 400 feet per second, though. It screamed as the bolt entered his heart, paralyzing him. Staking doesn't kill a vampire. It just immobilizes them. Then, you have to follow through. I took care of things. I, I don't want to get into the details. The man I respected was dead, and I was just taking care of the remains. I didn't kill him that night. He was already dead. I did kill him, though. I killed him when I sent him after Blood Bunny, and he didn't know what he was getting into. I had a debt to collect from Blood Money, and he was going to pay. I made my way up the concrete emergency stairwell quickly. I knew what floor Blood Money would be on, but not for how long, and bypassing the lock cost me precious minute. Crossbow down by my side, partly obscured by my body, I made my way into the hotel corridor. Hallway was clear. There was no telling if there was going to be any of his followers or a crowd that would get in the way. That was why I brought the grenades. Up ahead, the hallway bent at a sharp angle, obscuring whatever might be beyond. Fortunately, there was a convex mirror up in the corner, letting me see around the bend. Blood Money was standing there, right in the middle of the corridor, wearing his sunglasses and talking to a number of other people. The cleaning lady and her cart were also in the way. There was no way I'd get a clear shot. Just as I was approaching the corner, Blood Money looks up, and he saw me in the mirror. He just smiled, turned around to face me, took off his glasses and said, Why don't you drop that thing and come on over here? B-Money's got something for y'all. That voice! Smooth, melodious, and deep. It was... Some kind of ideal voice that just couldn't exist in the normal world went through me like the finest blues waves, washing away tension and fear and utterly relaxing me. I could hear it singing in the back of my head, urging me to do what he said. The gaze made it worse. I couldn't see Blood Money's eyes clearly in the curved mirror, other than that they were red, glowing coals. His image and features were distorted in the mirror, but soon the whole world wavered, and I began to realize that my vision of the world was warped and twisted, that nothing made sense anymore, and a desperate, falling, helpless sensation began to take hold. There had to be someone that could make sense of things, give me direction and order. The world started to go dark and strange around me. All the light was leaving. But those two red stars of his eyes, I felt drawn to them. If I could just reach that light, I might escape the darkness and see again. Instead, I closed my eyes, bit my tongue, and shook my head as hard as I could. Cut off from his gaze, I could think again, and the pain helped me focus on what was going on around me. 
You learn a thing or two after a lot of bad hangovers. Somehow, that mirror saved my life. I didn't get hit with the full force of his gaze. Or maybe I was too far to be taken over by his voice. Or maybe both. Blood Money sighed, and then turned around to face everyone around him. Would you all please just go down the call and kill that dude standing over there? And he hooked his thumb in my direction in the mirror. And he just went ahead and did it. The blood-curdling howl, hotel staff, guests, the girls he was with, even the cleaning lady, all charged down the hallway in my direction looking for blood. If you've never seen an angry mob, there is nothing like it. The air fills with an electric tension like a storm about to break. Faces contort to masks of mindless rage, and the mob becomes a single organism with a lot of bodies but no brains, and the singular goal to kill and destroy. When all of that is pointed at you, it lights your spine on fire with a primordial terror. The world is out to kill you. I ran. You bet I ran. I ran back to the stairs, spilling spoons, throwing grenades behind me. Grenades went off with a couple of loud pops, startling the angry mob chasing me. The smoke grenades hissed and quickly began filling the hallway with thick white smoke. That smoke wasn't dangerous, but they didn't know that. Cries of outrage and alarm filled the hallway along with the smoke. A good smoker can blow for about a minute, but I wasn't going to get that minute. For one thing, the smoke wouldn't stop from eventually finding me and dogpiling on top of me for the vampire to finish me off. The other thing was the smoke grenades set off the fire system. Alarms blared through the hall and strobes flashed in the hallway, while the sprinkler system started spraying us all down. It was time to go. There was no way I was going to get to blood money that night. And the police, fire, ambulances, and who knew what else was on the way. I expect blood money didn't want to be there when they arrived either, but you never know. Maybe he could have pulled the same mind trick on the police, and then I'd have to dodge a lot of gunfire too. I ran back down the stairs into the parking garage, got into my car, and peeled out of there as fast as I could. My recklessness and impatience cost a good man his life, and it almost ruined everything. Next time, I have to do it right. Control, as I'm recording this, Blood Money has left town and is driving north. His car has been found, abandoned by the side of the interstate, and another car with its driver dead in the trunk and drained of blood was found further north. I believe that he's heading towards Baltimore, and I intend to stop him there. He's got to be stopped, somehow, and soon. We're dealing with a vampire that's able to sire younger vampires. It doesn't happen right away. It takes time and blood for a vampire to get control of itself and gain the ability to take others into the nightmare world of the walking dead. That means we're dealing with an older and more experienced vampire. Blood money is going to be faster, stronger, tougher, and most of all smarter than the average vamp. Worse, blood money has mind control. I saw it with my own eyes. Given time, vampires begin to develop a whole host of unnatural talents. Shape-shifting, telekinesis, controlling animals or the weather. The list, unfortunately, just goes on and on. No vamp has all of the abilities. 
there's no particular order in which they show up, and many may never get any or all of these dark powers at all. But all of the sources agree it takes time for a vampire to master even one of these unnatural abilities. And mind control is one of the worst. What this maniac started to do in DC is only going to happen in other cities, as it takes over the local gangs and who knows who else and turns communities into bloodbaths. I figure that blood money must be using his mind control, but he's new to it, even though it's got to be an older vampire. The really old ones usually act in secret, manipulating people behind the scenes so that you never really know what's happened. Blood money is acting more reckless, like it's trying out these new powers for the first time to see what the limits are. We need to know those limits, too. Control? Get research on this, and fast. I need to know everything there is to know about vampire mind control. Its strength, duration, and range. How is it transmitted? What can snap someone out of it? I'm stumbling around in the dark with a vampire I don't know anything about. Also, investigations need to find out everything we can on who this man was before he became an unliving nightmare. I mean everything. History, career, hobbies, Anything at all might be useful. The memory and personality of the previous human life can have a big influence on the resulting vampire. Control, contact Armory for me. I need crate B11, delivered to my safe house in Baltimore. I know this is going to make a big mess and make a lot of work for legal, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to need it. Remember, we've got a reckless psychopath who can make as many vampires as he wants. I'm going to need the heavy for this one. I'd like containment to send a team up to help me in Baltimore, but if they're still busy with that zombie outbreak in New Mexico, then I'll just have to go it alone, whatever the risk. If I make it back, check me out thoroughly. Remember, this is a vampire that can mind control others and make new vampires. Do what you have to for security. I'll understand. If I don't make it back, well... Then send your best. You'll need it. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio. Licensed under an attribution non-commercial share-alike international license. This episode was written and performed by David Halquist. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Ken Dickison performs our audio editing. Visit us on Facebook, read articles on superversivesf.com, and wherever podcasts are distributed, you'll find us. Check out our unauthorized podcast as well. Contact us through Twitter at Pinkerton's Ghosts, no apostrophe. Send noble messenger possums with letters on their backs or email us at pinkertonsghosts at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.